Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this roundup of the past two weeks of fake news. We haven't done a roundup of news for a while. The, the past three episodes I've done, they've been retrospectives. And those retrospectives are where I just kind of take one specific topic and I do a deep dive. And uh, today I want to do more of a recap of some of the things that have taken place the past few weeks. And then I want to comment on some stories from lately. The main, st- <laughs> the main theme in these stories today is going to be reality. I've heard it said that reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. A lot of us have wildly different views of reality. We can live right alongside each other. We can go through life just fine, side by side, uh, and get along pretty well. You know, I can believe that I'm a man. You can believe that you're a butterfly dreaming that you're a man. And and that's all fine. Up until you jump off a building trying, trying to find nirvana. Because after you fall a few stories, you're going to bump into reality pretty hard. Uh, to, quote, to quote the immortal words of the, the philosopher George Costanza, we live in a society, <laughs> and that society, it's becoming more detached than ever from reality. People think that when like the government, when it gives you something without making you pay for it, that that means it's free. They believe that the cell science can be updated every few months. That you needed an ID and a vaccine passport just to go outside, but to require an ID to vote is somehow racist. And, and by the way, while we're at it, everything else is racist too. That people would rather live their life according to how they feel instead of what is true. To, to them, what they feel is all the truth that they need. To some people, nothing should be wrong except to tell other people that they're wrong for saying someone else is wrong, that everyone should be tolerated except for the intolerant, that nobody should be judged except for the people who want to judge. You show how open-minded you are by who you close your mind to, that some animals are more equal than others. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Pineapple on pizza. Fiery is mostly peaceful. Ben Affleck deserved an Oscar. And and those are the people who are the most shell-shocked when reality sets in. And so today, uh, what a a great week, really, to talk about how the left's various narratives have been so blown apart by reality— just like Joe Biden's approval ratings have been blown apart by by, by reality. Yeah, I'm already running out of analogies. Joe Biden this week was announced to have a 33% approval rating. That That's even lower than the 30, 34% that Trump hit after the January 6th riot last year. Tr- Trump was blamed for a riot at the Capitol less than a year ago. And he even had a, a higher approval rating than Joe Biden does right now. <laughs> and And first year presidents are kind of supposed to be in that honeymoon period. You know, approval ratings, they'll trickle down over time, generally speaking. But uh, presidents are not supposed to have an an approval ratings crash that's this hard and this quick. So so what happened? Well, Biden made a lot of false promises last year about being able to control the virus while maintaining a strong economy. He blamed Trump for all the deaths. He claimed that he had a plan that would fix all these problems. And, And listen, if you actually believed any of those claims that Biden made... If you actually believe that Trump was the one who was at fault for coronavirus, if you believed 
that it was just all Trump's fault because he wouldn't follow the science, that he reopened the economy too quickly, but it was also his fault for how many people lost their jobs because of the lockdowns. Um, if you believed all that, but you believed that Joe Biden would have a handle on the situation, that he knows what to do, and that's why we got to vote Biden, frankly, you're, you're not very good at interpreting reality. And, and that's why this podcast is for you. If you thought Trump was just like screwing up really bad last year with coronavirus, that we just needed Biden to come along and follow the science better, you were actually not in touch with reality. That's what people are realizing now. They were just following a mainstream media narrative, but that narrative has really been broken lately. Uh, it's, it's fallen apart. Joe Biden has had more deaths under his time as president than Trump did. The economy, you know, it had nowhere to go but up whenever Biden took over, and he continues to run it into the ground. Inflation's now at a 40-year high. And by the way, do you remember all those claims of, like, systemic racism and how America is so doggone racist? In 2020, this was constantly in the news, systemic racism, systemic racism. But then today, black people are being murdered more right now under Biden than back whenever Trump was president. Black people have a higher unemployment now under Biden than whenever Trump was president. Uh, in fact, Trump, okay, the supposed white supremacist, he got the black vote, or I'm sorry, he got the unemployment rate down to its lowest level in American history. Trump did that. Trump, Biden hasn't done that. What has Joe Biden done to fix the supposed systemic racism that he hired a black vice president? I mean, not even six years ago, we had a black president. So was that all it took to fix systemic racism, guys? Or were all those claims two years ago just a myth to trick people into voting blue in the election? Reality is setting in, and it's hitting the Democrat voters hard. And they're taking out their frustration by blaming Biden. And, and that's why his approval rating is tanking. But really, I, I honestly, when I look at that, I just see that as... To, to blame him, is the deflection from their own failure to interpret reality better. They fell for a pack of lies. And it's just easier to blame Biden for it than, than to admit that they got taken for a ride. Um, and one more thing Democrats are starting to realize, honestly, here's a clip from Thursday, okay? Uh, I think this demonstrates it pretty well. Listen to this. Right, we're going to pause here for a message from our president. Now, I don't like to, uh, uh, you know, uh, outline the next steps we're taking against. Uh, I'd, I'd like to outline the next steps we're taking against over on the, the Omicron variant. Yeah, so our, the president turns 80 this year. Like, I, I don't think we've ever even had a president who was in his 80s before. And, and we may not. He has to make it that long. And I even have doubts about whether he can do that. But this is just embarrassing. This is super embarrassing that this is how our president talks. This is the best he can do. It's embarrassing. But this is the Democrats' embarrassment. <laughs> they chose this. They had like 10 candidates running in the primary for this presidency. And they chose this guy. And it's not like they weren't warned. Okay? It's not like they weren't warned that he sounds like a dementia patient. They just listen to the wrong information sources. So, so listen, if you were surprised that our current president didn't really have a plan to fight coronavirus like he claimed he would, 
if you were surprised that he wouldn't be able to restart the economy and instead he drove up inflation, if you were surprised that by choosing a secretary of transportation on the basis of his sexuality rather than his credentials, that it's led to a supply chain crisis and empty supermarket shelves, if you were surprised that choosing a vice president on the basis of race and gender instead of her qualifications, if you were surprised that this led to one of the most unpopular vice presidents in American history, if you were surprised that Joe Biden is using the same virus mitigation policies that he was calling Trump racist for last year, if if you were surprised, and right now it's January 2022, if you're surprised that right now Jesse Smollett is sitting in jail, but Kyle Rittenhouse is a free man, and if you're surprised to hear your president that he still sounds like a, a dementia patient, that he still can't put two sentences together, who again referred to Kamala Harris as the president of the United States this week, once again, and once again referred to this year as 2020 for the second week in a row. If all of this surprises you a year into his presidency, you have some really bad information sources. You're not good at interpreting reality. And, and maybe you should re-examine everything that you think to be true, or you'll just fall for the next hoax. Let's talk about some news stories from the past few weeks. And today, the main theme is going to be liberals versus reality. Well, I want to start with the best news this week, and it's the news that came out yesterday. Um, it's that the unconstitutional vaccine mandate that Joe Biden wanted to put on businesses with more than 100 employees, well, that has been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Okay, you know, that same unconstitutional mandate that Joe Biden was himself claiming was unconstitutional a mere year ago, that mandate that he still went ahead and tried anyway. Well, yeah, it's toast. The Supreme Court slapped it down. And, and that makes the court the only institution left in America that the left still can't control. And, and that's why I would expect Democrats to really go after the, the legitimacy of the court system again after this. Because like I've been saying, it's the one thing that they don't have their tentacles wrapped around. It's it's the one thing that can stop them from their most extreme positions. The extreme positions, by the way, that they were admitting were too extreme and unconstitutional a year ago that they're trying right now. The, the vaccine mandates. The, to say you need a vaccine in order to have a job. Um, that's, that's extreme. Okay? One year ago, they were saying this is something they couldn't do, that they wouldn't even try. That it was unconstitutional, but then we had to have the Supreme Court go ahead and slap it down yesterday. You know, the Democrats like to claim that Republicans are a threat to our democracy. But guys, listen, if you're a leftist, if you're listening right now, you support a political movement that just attempted a mandate that they admitted themselves, that they admitted themselves last year that this went beyond their purview. And then they still went ahead and tried it less than a year later. Okay, and, and you say that the Republicans are a threat to democracy. And by the way, Democrats also spent the past week making various speeches about how we should get rid of the filibuster. Okay, the filibusters, that's what you need when you, when you, when you need to have 60 senators agree to bring something to a vote before you can vote on it. That's, that's the filibuster. So that means when the Democrats only have 50 senators, they can't force something to go down for a vote. Well, Chuck Schumer, Democrat in the Senate, um, majority leader in the Senate, he wants to get rid of the filibuster in the Senate so that Republicans can't stop him from bringing things to the floor for a vote. 
Now, he himself, to do this, to get rid of the filibuster, he himself has claimed several times over the years that to get rid of the filibuster, that that would just be a, a dictatorial move, okay? That this would just be authoritarian and... And he called it turning our country into a banana republic. That basically, anytime one side has at least 50 senators, they can just push through whatever they want. He said, here he is in 2005 talking about why we need to keep the filibuster, because back then it would have hurt him to get rid of it. So here's him talking in 2005 about why we need to keep it. Listen to this. The bottom line is very simple. The ideologues in the Senate want to turn what the Founding Fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy into the rubber stamp of dictatorship. We will not let them. They want, because they can't get their way on every judge, to change the rules in midstream, to wash away 200 years of history, they want to make this country into a banana republic where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Are we going to let them? No! It'll be a doomsday for democracy if we do. And now this week he tried to get rid of it because he wanted to use it to push through some voting laws. It, here's, here's actually not even just him. Here's a series of other Democrats talking in the past about why they don't want to get rid of the filibuster. You're, you're going to hear Schumer again. You're going to hear Bernie Sanders. You're going to hear Cory Booker. You're going to hear Dick Durbin. Listen to this clip. Let us go no further down this road. I hope the Republican leader and I can, in the coming months, find a way to build a firewall around the legislative filibuster, which is the most important distinction between the Senate and the House. No, I'm not crazy about getting rid of the filibuster. Everybody I've talked to believe uh, that the legislative filibuster should stay there, and I, I, I will personally uh, resist efforts to get rid of it. What about that nuclear option doing away with the filibuster? Well, I can tell you that would be the end of the Senate as it was originally uh, devised and created going back to our founding fathers. I'm committed to never voting to change the legislative filibuster. And all of those guys voted to get rid of the filibuster this week because... They or they they said they were going to vote to uh, a few Democrats wouldn't go along with it because it was too extreme. OK, they all wanted to get rid of the filibuster this week, though, after claiming in the past that they supported it. Why do they want to get rid of it this week? Well, they want to vote on taking over elections and banning voter ID. But all these guys are liars. They don't have principles that they live by. If you aren't aware of how much they're lying to you, you have some really terrible news sources. Okay, and, and Kamala Harris herself, our current vice president, she did a speech this week and she called the filibuster an arcane Senate rule. Okay, she called it arcane, meaning that it's out of date, <laughs> historical, that it's too old to be useful anymore. Listen, listen to her talking about it. Senate Republicans have exploited arcane rules to block these bills. So the Senate Democrats using this so-called arcane rule, all right, this so-called outdated rule, in 2020, back when, you know, when they had Kamala Harris in the Senate, they used the filibuster more than 300 times. All right. In one year, they used it 300 times in one year, more than 300 times. It's like 327 times in one year. And ever since that year, now that they've got a bare minimum majority in the Senate, they're trying to get rid of the filibuster after they used it themselves over 300 times the year before. And you know what? I say just let them have it. Okay? Just go ahead and kill it.
It would be a short-term it would be a short-term loss for the Republicans, but then the next time Republicans were in power, they could just push through whatever they want. So it it really has a much bigger payoff for Republicans cuz Democrats have already wasted a year of having it block them. They'd only have really realistically, they have less than a year left to even use that. And then after that, Republicans can use it all the time. So I would say just let the filibuster die. The the, the Democrats got rid of the filibuster for ju- judicial nominees back when Obama was president so that judges couldn't be stopped from being pushed through. Then when Trump was president, the, the Democrats could not stop Gorsuch. They couldn't stop Kavanaugh. I mean, think about this. They could have stopped Amy Coney Barrett from filling the seat that she took right before the election in 2020. They could have stopped her until after the presidential election. But they couldn't stop it because back when Obama was president, they changed the rules. They got rid of the filibuster back then for judges. And then that blew up in their faces. (laughs) And if they got rid of the filibuster this week, that would blow up in their faces as well. That's liberals versus reality. I say let reality blow up in their face again. I'm, I'm down with that. Okay, so here's some more news on the reality front. Uh, liberals have been, they've been claiming for years now that there's just no significant biological differences in men and women. By the way, I, I've i tried to somewhat, um, so far I've been kind of trying to reach out to leftists in this episode and convince them that their news sources are faulty. Listen, if you're listening right now, if you're, if you're really delusional enough that you think men and women don't have significant biological differences, that's where I don't even know how to have a conversation with you because you're so far down the rabbit hole. I don't even I don't even know how to kind of reach out to a person who's become that delusional. We see the the reality against that idea play out all the time. Like in athletics, if you believe that men and women are equal in athletics, that, that basically they have generally the same, they have comparable speed and strength and agility. If you believe that, you're you're quite simply delusional. And sadly, there are a lot of delusional people out here saying that transgender individuals, that they should be competing in sports with members of the of a different biological sex. And this doesn't get more unfair than when you see biological boys and they come out as a so-called female and then they compete in sports against actual females. This has been in the news a bit lately from Penn State. Um, l- listen to a news story about this. They're going to talk about Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is a boy. Leah Thomas, like whatever his original name was, Leah Thomas was known as a boy for basically his whole life. He was a male swimmer. And then he decides to come out as female and he gets put on the girls' swim team and then totally dominates in the female sports, totally totally blowing away the girls' records in females, in swimming sports. And, and here's an NBC contributor. And you're about to hear her. She's going to claim that, that biological males, that they have... No real advantage in girls' sports, despite the fact that your own eyes can see that he's blowing these other swimmers away. But you're going to hear an NBC reporter say that, that biological males don't really have an advantage. Listen to this. Speaking of athletes, here's another one who's a star, Leah Thompson. Last month, the swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania set two different Ivy League records. Her critics are furious, saying she shouldn't even be allowed to compete. That's because Leah Thomas is transgender and at the epicenter of this culture war, you could call it. Tomorrow is her final home meet of the season. She'll face off against Dartmouth and Yale. Both Penn Athletics and the Ivy League have put out statements supporting Leah. But of course, she is just the latest trans athlete to come under fire. In fact, 10 states have recently passed some kind of bill banning trans athletes from 
participating in youth sports. You might remember trans runner CeCe Telfer was deemed ineligible to compete at the U.S. Olympic trials over the summer. So let's talk about it now with Joe Yurkeba from NBC Out, who just published this piece with the latest about Leah. Joe, I'm glad to have you, glad to have you here. Talk about what's going on here, right? Um, because Leah does have support from her team, from her school, from her league, if you will. And yet for some of her detractors, that doesn't seem to be enough. Sure, yeah. So there are a few different arguments happening here. You've got an argument about fairness. Uh, there are people who oppose trans women competing in women's sports because they say it's unfair to cisgender women who aren't trans, most of whom don't receive the athletic, athletic advantages of higher testosterone levels during puberty. Though then you have folks who say there's very little scientific evidence that shows that those advantages carry over for trans women after transition. So then you've got this argument about fairness and human rights on the other side. And trans advocates say that this question of inclusion is about more than just sports because, you know, we're still seeing these efforts at the state level right. to ban trans people from using the bathrooms of their gender. Uh, so they say this debate is really part of a larger conversation about whether trans people can participate in certain aspects of society at all. You know, they say all this, but the, the Penn State she-male dominated in this competition. So <laughs> good luck with the whole... There's little scientific evidence. Good luck with that argument, because we can see this with our own eyes. But wouldn't you know it, the Penn State boy girl was finally defeated in a women's swim competition. And here's the here's the kind of funny thing. Was defeated by another transgender swimmer. I think this one this one is from Yale. You know, it's so weird how there's there, you know, there's little scientific evidence that biological males have an advantage when swimming against biological females. And then, wouldn't you know it, the best swimmers in girls swimming, they just happen to be transgenders. Now, listen, I know that um, I would, I know that the conventional wisdom, which is not what the left uses, I know the conventional wisdom would say that transgender kids should just compete with their biological sex. And I'll just tell you, I've, I've thought about this six ways from Sunday. I, and here's my controversial opinion on this subject. I just think it's actually not fair to let transgender kids play sports. It's just, there's not going to be a fair way to do it. And I'll explain why. Okay, it's, it's obviously going to be unfair, unfair to the biological girls if you let a biological boy compete against them, even if he's on like puberty blockers and all that. It's not going to be fair because you're, you're talking about two different physical anatomies. So if you have a biological girl who claims to be a boy but she's still going to compete against other girls. That could be fine. But listen, if she's taking like injections of testosterone or she's taking hormone treatments to make her more male, just remember like testosterone enhances muscle growth, which by the way, by the way, that comes naturally in boys more than girls. But if she's taking injections of, of testosterone to make her more male, that's going to help her with her muscle growth. And now you've basically got a swimmer on steroids competing against other girls who are not on steroids um, it's just not going to be fair to them. You've just taken all the fairness out of it. And I can't really see a way that transgender kids can compete in sports and let the sports remain fair. So I just the way I boil this down to, you, you, you either have to let the 99% of athletes who are not transgender, you e either you're going to have to disenfranchise them so that you can make the 1% of transgender kids feel included. Either you do that or... You're going to have to disenfranchise that 1% who are transgender so that the 99% can still have their sport. Now, 
<laughs> Obviously, with a choice like that, I would say if you have to either disenfranchise one or disenfranchise 99, you disenfranchise the one. To me, that's a simple choice. It's a simple choice, I think. I just think most school officials, they don't really have the courage to make it. So they, they would just rather deny reality. And that's what they're doing now. And they'll keep denying reality up until a swimmer crashes into it. All right, for our next story, I'm going to dedicate this next story to, to Black Lives Matter because they caused a bunch of politicians a few years ago to jump on board with that defund the police movement. Okay, and here's the fruit of that. The fruit of that is a skyrocketing murder rate. And there's such a police shortage in big cities that, I mean, a lot of times police won't even respond to like the smaller crimes anymore. And there's not enough police to respond to all the crimes. Well, here, here's here's what happened. This happened at the end of last year, okay? It wasn't the past two weeks, but this happened right at the end of 2021, um, as reported in Police Tribune. Two defund the police lawmakers were carjacked in less than 24 hours. So two Democrats who supported police reform in Philadelphia and Chicago, actually, sorry, this comes from the New York Post. They were both carjacked at gunpoint within 24 hours of each other. We had Illinois State Senator... Kimberly Lightford, she's a Democrat, of course, she was targeted in suburban Chicago on Tuesday at the end of the year. And then Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon from Pennsylvania, another Democrat, she was carjacked Wednesday afternoon after an event in South Philadelphia. So at the end of 2021, while we were all distracted by Betty White, there were two lawmakers who were carjacked within 24 hours of each other. And the, both of these lawmakers, they had campaigned to defund our cops back in 2020 because that was just the Democrat thing to do. Well, ladies, your actions have consequences, all right? <laughs> Meet reality. And, and Kimberly Lightford, her story gets even more interesting. So she was the one from Illinois, she was from Chicago, and she said that her husband saved her from the carjacker. Um, here's what she told CBS Chicago. She said, I call my husband my hero today. And it said in the story, Illinois State Senator Kimberly Lightford, she said her husband, who has a concealed carry license, returned fire when three gunmen started shooting during a carjacking Tuesday night in Broadview. And then she says, we're both happy to be alive. Well, here's here's a funny thing about that. If you look at Senator Lightford's voting records over there in Illinois, she voted against a bill that legalized concealed carry in Illinois. And now she's giving her husband credit for carrying a weapon concealed concealed carry and then and he had a license to do it and he returned fire when they were shot at that night it's funny how that works that she voted against this back in 2013 as a member of the 98th general assembly of illinois but her own husband concealed carries a gun and then she even says here that it potentially saved her life because her husband was able to use his gun to defend them from bad guys with guns it's almost like that's the whole purpose of concealed carry. <laughs> it's, it's almost like if you pass laws that restrict the good guys, like Kimberly Lightford's husband, then that would prohibit you from defending yourself against the bad guys, like carjackers. Yeah, meet reality, folks. All right? <laughs> and, and honestly, I mean, I'm thankful that she didn't get killed by reality. But imagine if that law had passed that prohibited her, prohibited her husband from concealed carrying. Imagine if her family, like her husband, actually stood by her own principles. Well, then they might be dead. Okay, I'm not saying that I wish she was dead. I'm glad she's alive. 
I hope she changes her vote the next time that that issue comes around. I hope she rethinks that defund the police stance that she had, which which saw more than 1,000 police officers leave Chicago over the past year. They said a lot of them have left and gone to get jobs in the suburbs. A lot of the older ones are retiring early. They lost 1,000 police officers more than that in Chicago over the past year because of all this animosity that that Democrats like Kimberly Lightford are stirring up against the cops. And now she ends up getting carjacked. Liberals meet reality. This is what happens because of your policies. In New York, the crime is so bad at the, at the Bank of America, they told their employees that you need to dress down whenever you come to work from now on so you don't attract as much attention. Let me read this story um, about crime in New York. It said, at Bank of America... Senior executives have quietly encouraged younger employees to dress down to attract less attention as they make their way to Bank of America's tower at One Bryant Park. These execs have told their staffers that dressing up or wearing anything with the Bank of America logo could make them a target. Um, so that, yeah, if you look like you work for the bank, it, it makes you a target of people who might try to mug you or rob you. And this is what liberal governance gets you folks. That's New York. Where they were painting defund the police all over the sidewalks and streets a few a few years ago. This is what liberal governance gets you. The new DA in New York. He has a plan to lower crime rates. All right. He has a he has a plan to lower the felony rate. Just stop classifying so many illegal actions as crimes. For example, felony armed robbery. That's now being dropped to a misdemeanor charge. It's no longer a felony to, to rob someone with a gun. So now they won't have as many felonies in New York. <laughs> It's just going to have more misdemeanors, but not as many felonies. Great job, DA. Your record's going to show not as many felonies in New York. And now armed robbery has even less consequences than ever. You're not a felon now. Wow, I'm sure that'll lower the amount of armed robbery. Guys, if you live in New York, I if you st still want to live in New York after the, all this, I just don't know what to tell you. But this is what you voted for. This is what you get. So don't come crying to us whenever you get robbed at gunpoint. Because you voted for defund the police politicians. You voted for, for loser district attorneys who care more about their crime stats than stopping actual crime. You know, this, there was a somewhat famous Twitter thread. It was in the past few weeks it came out. Um, it was by a San Francisco resident who was starting to take the red pill. This was a really fascinating... I'm not going to read the whole thing. It went on and on and on, but it was really good. It was She's just starting to question over there in San Francisco why all this liberal governance has not led to the, the socialist utopia that they promised. It was someone named Michelle Tandler. Michelle Tandler, at Michelle Tandler on Twitter. And she had started off, here's what confuses me about San Francisco. We have the most liberal left-wing government and population in the country. We have a $13 billion budget. And we have 8,000 people sleeping in the rain this week. Can someone explain this to me? <laughs> you know what? She's running into reality. That liberals promise all this pie-in-the-sky nonsense, this, this utopia, and they can't deliver on that because it's not realistic. They say you just need more money. This is Nancy Pelosi's district, guys. Okay? This is Nancy Pelosi. This is what her district is. This is who sends Nancy Pelosi to Washington, D.C. And this is what turns people into Republicans' people. <laughs> so when they look face-to-face -face with reality... Reality is not the liberals' friend. Reality has a, a right-wing bias.
Um, to kind of go back to the race angle for a minute, <laughs> our next story today, Facebook came up with a new filter to catch hate speech on the basis of race. Unfortunately, it worked. <laughs> Here's the headline. This is from Involve.com. Here's the headline. Facebook's race-blind algorithm backfires in their face. It finds 90% of hate speech online was directed toward white people and men. <laughs> so, so the liberals, they came up with this um, scientific algorithm to identify hate speech. And uh, and I said online because it was scanning it was scanning Facebook. Um, they they came up with this algorithm to identify hate speech online, and they found that the vast majority of hateful rhetoric on internet social media, that the vast majority of, of it was actually anti-white. It was not anti-other races like they thought they were going to find. 90% of it was directed toward white men or white people. Which, by the way, that would surprise absolutely none of us over here in reality land. It was over in La La Land where the liberals were... <laughs> where they're going to go back to formula on this algorithm. I'm sure they'll keep reworking it until it gives them the result that they actually wanted. Um, but uh, those of us who actually just kind of pay attention and see with our own eyes, yeah, it's kind of obvious that the most socially acceptable form of racism today is the racism against white people. <laughs> it's not socially acceptable to be racist against you know anyone else. Unless you're a Democrat, then you can usually get away with it. Hey, as long as we're discussing hate speech, the, the Irish Times, they had an opinion piece from Mary Catherine Tramontana. Mary Catherine Tramontana. It's kind of a cool name. But um, she she's complaining about mansplaining. Because, you know, the Democrats came up with this concept of mansplaining, one of their new stupid words. They came up with that a few years ago. But then she asked this question. It's from the headline in the Irish Times. It says, why are men... Still explaining things to women. Well, Mary, do you, do you want me to explain it to you? No, actually, I have something else. I have something else that I want to explain this even less, okay? <laughs> There's something else that would actually be even more um, awkward and painful for me to explain. Let me bring you this from Yahoo News. Okay, before I read this, listen, guys. I, I'm not just going out and trying to find the dumbest liberals to mock, okay? I'm, I'm not. This is this is just the best that Yahoo News has to offer. Okay? I'm not trying to pick the lowest hanging fruit. I'm not trying to pick the stupidest articles to make fun of. This this is just what they put out, okay? Here's the headline. No one talks about how hard the journey to getting pregnant can be for same-sex couples. I'm going to read that one more time. No one talks about how hard the journey to getting pregnant can be for same-sex couples. I, I don't know. I'm going to read that just one more time here. No one talks about how hard the journey to getting pregnant can be for same-sex couples. They, they really put this headline out. Liberals, Democrats, they are at war with, with reality. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not even going to explain this one. I'm not. I think most of us had this talk when we were kids. They call it the birds and the bees. I'm not even going to explain this one for you guys. Okay, that's enough stupid for one day. <laughs> Let's let. I don't know if it, actually it's not, but <laughs> we're we're going to go ahead and get ready for a few other things. We'll go into our beyond the headline segment in just a minute. But 
for now, that's enough stupid for one day. So before I close down later, I'll go ahead and mention this here. If you want to get in touch with us at Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast, you can send us an email to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. In fact, if you see some fake news, send it our way. Whoever gets it to us first will get credit for it. And uh, if you want to stay in touch throughout the week, we're on Twitter, at Fake News Weekly. If you like Bible studies or if you just really dig the sound of my voice, I do have another podcast. It's called Cross References. It has nothing to do with news, nothing to really do with current events, but it's what I consider my main podcast, and it has new episodes on Mondays. You can just go look up cross-references on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get this podcast. You can also find my other one, and um, we're going to go into Beyond the Headlines soon. You know, first, I want to share a thing that happened, um, because this thing, this this was just plain strange. Actually, today, it's two things that happened. You're, you can tell me which one is more strange to you, okay? So here's the first one uh, about Campbell's Soup. They are releasing a new product, okay? It's not soup. It's candles. They're selling candles. And they're going to be Campbell's Soup candles. The candles smell like soup. So this is for those, those of you who want to make your homes smell like Campbell's Soup without actually buying the soup. And they have chicken noodle soup candles, and they also have tomato soup candles. (laughs) If this was a desire you had. I mean, I do like the smell of Campbell's soup. (laughs) So maybe I can understand that part of the appeal. If that's a desire you have, it can be yours for the low cost of $25. And I'm just going to make this suggestion, too. Just a side note. Um, I was thinking, you know, if if you want the smell of soup, you could also just buy a $1 can of soup, and I guess you could just put that on the stove, turn the stove on, and leave that on all day long. You'd basically get the same effect. Um, I don't know, the candle would give you less dishes to clean up, but also that's 25 times cheaper than buying one of these candles. <laughs> Plus, I think if I put the candle on, then I would just want to eat some soup after smelling it all day. So um, then I would still wish I had the soup anyway. So uh, you can you can email us and tell us which one you think is weirder. Was it that story or was it this other one? Here's another thing that happened lately. This is from CNN in what I wish was fake news, okay? Kentucky Fried Chicken is going to sell a new menu item that contains no chicken, but it tastes like it does. It's the new plant-based fried chicken nugget alternative. It's called Beyond Fried Chicken. Again, it's not really chicken. It's, it's plants. And it's going to be added to menus nationwide beginning Monday, January 10th, which means I guess by now it is there. This marks the first instance of a national chain selling plant-based chicken products rather than the hamburger or sausage alternatives that have become increasingly common, the chain said. So this is Kentucky Fried Chicken that's not actually chicken. Guys, this is why God gave us Chick-fil-A. Because God knew the future. God knows the future. He knew that KFC was going to turn on us. He he knew it from the day that Kentucky was declared a state in 1792. God knew it from the time that Colonel Sanders was born in 1890. God knew. So he sent us Chick-fil-A. I mean, how can it even be Kentucky Fried Chicken if it's not chicken? And, and if it's not fried? 
And I didn't check on this because I didn't know if my heart could take it, but I would be willing to bet that the plants that they use were not even grown in Kentucky. I wanted to check, but I just couldn't put myself through that. But as far as we know, all we're left with in Kentucky fried chicken is the Kentucky part, potentially. Kentucky, which which gave us Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell, two guys that I consider grade A politicians. Or I used to. I don't know if I'd say that anymore. Not if they let this happen in their state. No more. They need to answer for this. Noah, get the boat. Okay, we're going to go into a spicy Beyond the Headline segment in just a few minutes. Um, If you have an angle that you want to see me hit on in the future, just let me know. I'd be happy to take suggestions. Again, our email, it's fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. And I want to tell you where I would like to go for the next few episodes. Um, I probably won't have an episode next week. I want to spend a little bit of extra time with my family next week. And so I'm going to, we might take a short trip for a day or two. So I might be out of pocket and I would probably not have an episode again for two weeks. But in the future, um, I would like to do an episode on gaslighting soon. And I want to do an episode that's a a retrospective on presidential lying. Um, A lot of people like to claim that Trump lied more than any other president in history. I guess potentially that's true. I'm I'm not even going to claim that it's not true. Trump did lie a lot. I, I say that as someone who voted for him in 2020. He frequently lied. Um, But most in history, I would like to analyze that claim. So I want to do a retrospective on presidential lying. And I want to do, I want to do an episode on COVID lying. The media has lied to us about COVID all along. I mean, it's, it's astounding. I still can't believe it sometimes. And then this goes right in there with gaslighting and presidential lying too. But I think it also deserves its own episode, frankly, because as the pandemic is dying down, I do want to do an episode on that. They were lying about COVID just this week. They're they're lying right now. Okay, let me mention this real quick. So the CDC, they're already claiming that later this year, COVID will just become endemic. All right. And so to explain what that means for a minute, endemic just means it's going to be just an acceptable, normal part of life that we just learn to deal with. It's like the seasonal flu. It means it's not going anywhere. We just have to live with it. That's what endemic means. Conservative media has been saying that since 2020. Like, I remember conservative news sources, they were saying this in 2020. They were saying it in 2021. I'm not saying conservative news is, is like always right. I'm just telling people on this particular topic, conservative media, they called this back in 2020. And the CDC is admitting now that they are also going to declare it endemic later on this year. But just think about what that means. That doesn't make any sense to telling you now that they're going to announce later that it's permanent. That's, they're like saying, okay, right now we consider it temporary and later we're going to tell you that it's permanent. That, that really makes no sense <laughs> because that basically means that it's permanent now. Okay. For all intents and purposes, that means it's permanent now. So there's nothing that's going to change between now and then. The CDC just doesn't want to admit it yet. So they're just saying now that they are going to admit it later. But if you think about it, that's just nonsense. Because if it's endemic later, that means it's endemic now. Okay? Like, let's say you have a car, like you live with your parents, you have a car, and they say, hey, we want you to start paying for your own insurance for the next three months. And then after that, we want you to permanently pay for your own insurance. Okay? Well, if they came to you and said that, that just basically means the rule is already permanent now. <laughs> the three months doesn't really mean anything. 
right? So it doesn't really make sense. And then but here's what makes it even crazier about what the CDC is saying. They are supposedly making this declaration about a scientific reality. Because, you know, all the stuff they say about the pandemic, it's it's supposedly rooted in the science, right? Well, they're, they're, they're being guided by scientific fact, right? So they're making this declaration about something that's already scientific fact. They're just telling you now, they're claiming that they won't announce it until later this year. Do you realize how crazy that is? <laughs> that's like, okay, that's like saying just about a scientific fact. That's like saying, okay, chlorophyll, that's what makes the plants green, okay? So imagine scientists got up and they said, hey, we're, we're announcing that chlorophyll, that's what makes plants green for the next six months. And then after that, we'll announce that it's a permanent scientific fact that chlorophyll makes plants green. Okay, if someone got up and said that, that would be an insane statement to make about a scientific fact, right? Right? Well, that's what the CDC is doing with coronavirus. <laughs> okay. CDC, COVID-19 is here to stay, everyone. All right? It, it can't be eradicated. Conservative media told you that in 2020. The CDC says that they will tell you that later on in 2022. All right? <laughs> Everything that they say is a lie. Even when they tell the truth, they, they'll lie about it for two years first. Why? Well, because honestly, once the word gets out that COVID is not going anywhere, um, they can't, they, then they can't use it to control you anymore. Then they'll, they'll lose their leverage over you. Okay? If you don't believe me, well, if you don't believe me on this, I guess here's your options, okay? Here's, here's how, if you don't believe me what I'm saying about how they lied to you, here are your options. Either one, that conservative media, like, like Daily Wire, either they figured all this out two years ago before all the scientists, all right? So that would mean the conservative media hosts, they are just that much more intelligent than the CDC that they can figure out pandemics almost two years before the CDC does, that's option one. Okay, that's one possibility. That's just how super smart they are. Or two, that the CDC has known this all along as well, and they've just been keeping that data from the public. That they and all the Democrat politicians, that they've just been lying this whole time when they said the goal is zero COVID. When they said that we could wipe out coronavirus by doing what they say. That's option two. So I generally like conservative media. I do think they're pretty smart. But I would go with option two on this. I would say the CDC has known this all along and that they've just been lying to you to make you think otherwise. So maybe someday we could do an episode all about just all about all the COVID lying because I think it's worthwhile to document that stuff. But for right now, we're going to do a Beyond the Headline segment uh, and we're going to talk about something astounding that came out in USA Today this week. So just a warning here, today's Beyond the Headline, it is, I'm going to call it PG-13, okay? I'm not going to use bad language or sexually explicit language, but I just I just think this subject matter I'm going to talk about today, it's not something you probably want to have playing if you have small children around you, okay? Just want to give you the warning. From, from here to the end of the program, we're discussing some mature content, okay? And this was published in the newspaper USA Today. Oh my goodness. You know, I'll say this, whenever I was whenever I was in college and uh, in journalism school, okay, learning how to be a journalist, 
my dream, actually, my favorite newspaper was USA Today. That's the one that I, like, If I didn't ever think I'd work for a major newspaper, and I never did, but I, I, I always hoped if I could ever work for a major newspaper, the one that I wanted to work for was USA Today. Uh, that was just always my favorite one. Back, back then. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> but back then, that was the one that I loved the most. So um, anyway, mature content going forward. So USA Today, uh, they put out a news story about pedophilia. All right. Here's, how, here's the tweet they put with it. When most of the public thinks of pedophilia, they assume it's synonymous with child sexual abuse. A pedophile is an adult who is sexually attracted to children, but not all pedophiles abuse kids. And some people who sexually abuse kids are not pedophiles. Okay, so there's a, that's a little bit um, confusing, the way that they are playing with traditional understandings of terms and definitions right there. They deleted that tweet after receiving a lot of backlash about it. Um, and then people were like, USA Today, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing, USA Today? So then they deleted it, and they reposted this. They said, in recent decades, the science on pedophilia has improved. One of the most significant findings is that pedophilia is likely determined in the womb through environmental factors, though environmental factors may, may influence whether someone acts on an urge to abuse. And then it links to a story. Um, every few years, the left-wing media, they, they, they make another push to normalize or destigmatize pedophilia. So this is not the first time they've done it. Even in the past year, it's not the first time. Maybe maybe they're doing it more lately. They're they're ramping up their efforts a little bit more at the moment. But this week, this week it was USA Today doing it. So the the current headline on this story is simply the complicated research behind pedophilia. But their original headline that they changed, their original headline called this what the public keeps getting wrong about pedophilia. So <laughs> let's let's read the article a bit, all right? I want to make some comments as we go through. Here's how it starts. Pedophilia is viewed as among the most horrifying social ills. But I'm going to stop right there for a minute. The, so that is a sentence, that opening sentence they used. That's a sentence that should never be followed by the word but. Okay? Here's a pro tip for all you perverts out there. Pedophilia is a social ill, one of the most horrifying, sure. You can add to that with the word and. You don't say the word but after that, because whenever you use the word but, you're taking away from what you already said, okay? And what you said originally in this in the first sentence of this article, that's not something you want to take anything away from. Yeah, you, you just leave it at that. You can add to it, sure, but don't try to take anything away from it, because that's what the word but does. You know, sometimes someone comes to you and they say, you know, they're like, hey, I think you're you're a great guy and you're one of my best friends. But, well, when they say that, you <laughs> you know that when you hear that word, but you don't care about what came before. Okay. You want to know what the, what's coming after the but. <laughs> and maybe they say, you know, but, but you need to wear more deodorant. Okay. The but really, once you hear that, it just cancels out everything that came before. Okay, you wanted to know what came after the butt. You you know what they really wanted to say was that you smell like a walrus. So you don't care about what came before the word butt. Anyway, this article says, but scientists who study the sexual disorder 
say it is also among the most misunderstood. When most of the public thinks of pedophilia, they assume it's synonymous with child sexual abuse, a pervasive social problem that has exploded to crisis levels online. Researchers who study pedophilia say the term describes an attraction, not an action, and using it interchangeably with abuse fuels misperceptions. So, honestly, when I read all this, I start to have questions about the person who wrote the article. I wonder if they even put their name on it. Maybe not. But, um, so, anyway, what they were saying right there, you know, in a sense, I can see why what they're saying I'm going to say why what I'm going to explain why this is all dangerous, but I can see where they're coming from in a sense that someone can be attracted to children but never act on it. And so it can be true that they've never done something outwardly wrong. Okay, I can understand what they're what they mean by that. And I would not call such a person a pedophile. Like personally, I would just not do that. The problem though, here's what the left, what they never understand about sexual impulses is that some things should just be kept under wraps. We don't need people going out and saying, as has been, here's the buzzword they've been using lately, minor attracted person, minor attracted persons, maps, okay? They call themselves minor attracted persons. We don't need people going out and publicly declaring that they are a minor attracted person, but they're not a pedophile because they never abuse anyone, okay? We don't need to be normalizing this and putting it out there on the stage. Some things should just be kept under wraps. Some things need to stay between you and a therapist. And we don't need we don't want people going out and talking about every single sexual urge that they have under the sun. Um, one a common phrase you hear from the left sometimes they say don't kink shame, and so basically they mean that whatever someone is into, like sexually speaking, whatever they're into, don't make them feel bad about it. That is the left's philosophy. This is what the the sexual movements of the 1960s. This is what they brought to our culture today, and and this language that the pedophilia apologists are using, um, this, this language they're using in this article, it's the language of normalization. They're, they're trying to make you even feel sorry for the people who are attracted to children, saying that they're misperceived, that they're misunderstood, okay? Those of us who pay attention to how the left uses language, that we can see where this is going, um, that they start by generating sympathy for people who are attracted to kids, uh, trying to say you shouldn't keep that you know, to yourself, but you should, we should just publicly acknowledge that this is what some people go through. Okay. They're trying to normalize this attraction by talking about it. Like it, like it's just one of many types of sexualities. And then we can see that down the road, then they could use that argument as a basis to make a stronger push for acceptance. They want to destigmatize being attracted to kids to, to, to destigmatize. Something means to make it more normal, more openly talked about, and then, therefore, more accepted. Back to the article, it says, one of the most significant findings is that scientists who study the, the disorder say pedophilia is determined in the womb, though environmental factors may influence whether someone acts on an urge to abuse. Hey guys, does that, does that argument sound familiar? Yeah, I remember hearing this all the time, like 30 years ago, when the left was making a push for the acceptance of homosexuality. You would, you know, you could say it's unnatural and the left would say, oh, of course it's natural. It's determined in the womb. You know, any day now, they're going to find a gene that explains it. Well, that's, that's not what we meant whenever we said it was unnatural. But they took a stance that anything that occurs in nature is, is therefore natural 
And so anything that you can observe in the natural, like in the animal kingdom, it must be natural if humans want to do it too, because we observe it in nature. You know, they that's not what people meant when they said it's unnatural. They meant that it goes against nature. But, it, but from there, from how the left took that, they said that anything that feels natural to a person must be morally justifiable. That if it came, even if you could even say it came from the womb, that that's how someone has been since they were born, that therefore it must be morally justifiable. And then if you're a bad person, if you make someone suppress something that feels natural to them, they'll say that you're opposing that person's humanity. (laughs) They'll say that you're saying that person shouldn't exist. You know, just like with the transgender story that we were talking about earlier, if, if you say that transgender people shouldn't play sports, the left just gets all mad about that. They say, oh, you just don't want transgender people to, to participate in society. No, I'm not saying society. I'm just saying sports. Or if you don't use a transgender person's preferred pronouns, they'll accuse you of denying a transgender person's humanity. When that's not what I'm doing. I'm actually just acknowledging their humanity in the, in the factual biological way. But this is what the left does. They always go to the most extreme example the most extreme interpretation of your words so they can villainize you and and try to make you the bad guy. Um, In the USA Today article. Okay, so now it quotes a forensic director at the Royal Ottawa Healthcare Group in Canada. His name is Michael Sato. All right, anyway, here's what Michael Sato says. He said, there is more neuroscientific knowledge of pedophilia than ever before. MRI research is showing how sexual interests develop in the brain. And Sato says, I think as a field... We've accepted the idea that this is not something that people choose. All right. Well, again, that is the exact same argument that liberals made to support homosexuality 30 years ago. They said it's not a choice. So therefore, it must be natural and okay. Do you see how they're using the exact same arguments they used before to talk about pedophilia right now? I'm not inventing the correlation right there. It's it's right there in front of us. I'm just pointing it out. When you normalize, listen, this is why they're normalizing it. Uh, or this is what happens when you normalize something. You get more of it. Okay, duh, the left knows this. We can see this right now. Like, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, homosexuals were, were reported as less than 3% of the population. But today... Like if you look at the, the youngest generations, the, the generation being raised on cell phones and TikTok, you know, 15% of them, a fourth of them sometimes, they'll identify as some form of LGBT. It's really common now to see 12 to 15 year olds say that they're not sure about their gender. You know, the, 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 something that there was almost no confusion about this 20 or 30 years ago. And today among that generation, it's very common to have gender confusion because of all the gender fluid language that the left uses about gender nowadays. When you publicly normalize something, you get more of it. So what do you think is going to happen if you normalize pedophilia? And and by the way, it was when they try to say it's something that you're born with. Just the vast majority of us know it's been known for a long time that, um, Child, child molesters, a lot of times they report that they were molested themselves as a kid, and that's why they're acting out that way as an adult. You know, almost all of them were also molested themselves when they were a child. It's a kind of a repeating pattern. There's a very clear scientific link there, 
Remember that when they try to tell you next that, oh no, it's just the way that they were born. Don't let them gaslight you on this. Okay, there's another psychologist who's quoted in the USA Today article. And this is what she said. Um, I, I've missed her name. Salter is her last name. So this is what she said. When she conducts trainings, she often asks the audience, how many of you have ever had an inappropriate sexual thought? And she waits for everyone to raise their hands. If, if someone won't raise their hand, she tells them that they're in denial. So then she tells them, of course people have had inappropriate sexual thoughts. You may be attracted to your wife's sister. You may be attracted to a 16-year-old post-pubescent babysitter. It doesn't mean you act on it, she said. Pedophiles may not have control over the fact that they are attracted to kids, but they are responsible for whether they do or don't act on it. So she just is basically making the argument that, hey, everybody has inappropriate sexual thoughts sometimes. So um, people who are who have those kind of thoughts toward children, they're just really not much different. Um, trying to trying to equate all of these things. And by the way, I think a key word there is inappropriate. <laughs> okay, if you have an inappropriate sexual thought, it's great that you don't act on it, but we don't want to normalize that. Everyone raise their hands and talk about it. We don't, that's not what we want to normalize, okay? And that is very clearly what this article is trying to do and the way that it uses the same vocabulary that the left was using for other sexual deviant behaviors 20 or 30 years ago. You know, the left does this push for pedophilia every few years. They've done it ever since gay marriage was legalized. Um, I remember a few years ago, a left-wing publication called Salon, they published an article, and the title of this article was, I'm a pedophile, but not a monster. And this was written by a pedophile who was trying to destigmatize pedophilia. And they, they put that out in September 2015, that, which, if you think about it, that was just three months after gay marriage was legalized. Okay? The conservatives warned about this. With that when the left was making its argument about the acceptance of homosexuality, we kept pointing out, hey, the arguments that you're making about homosexuality, those same arguments could be used for endorsing any other sexually de deviant behavior. But if you pointed that out, <laughs> they would get all mad and say, that's, that's just the slippery slope argument, okay? The slippery slope fallacy. And they would just tune out whatever you had to say until you were just making a slippery slope argument. Listen, the slippery slope fallacy, that only makes sense when you're talking about two things that are unrelated, okay? Like, <clears throat> if you're talking about two things that don't have any relationship to each other. If you said, hey, if, if we pass a law banning guns, well, what's next? They might pass a law banning cherry pie. Well, that's... That's a slippery slope fallacy because guns and cherry pie have nothing to do with each other. There's no relationship to each other, okay? That would be a slippery slope fa fallacy. But that's not what they were doing, what we were pointing out about homosexuality. We were pointing out that the arguments they use, the premises behind their arguments in favor of homosexual acceptance, those same arguments could be used to accept all kinds of bad behavior, sexual or not, just any all kinds of bad behavior. When the left makes an argument... For example, that anything that feels natural, anything that was determined in the womb is now morally acceptable and should be legal. Well, that same premise could be used to support a lot of sexually deviant behavior because it's all operating off that same premise. But if you pointed this out to them, they'd, they'd clutch their pearls. They'd say, how dare you compare homosexuality to pedophilia or bestiality? They throw a fit about that and say you're trying to equate all those things.
And here they are today. <laughs> here now, here they're, they're the ones comparing pedophilia to homosexuality. They're using the same playbook all over again. Or what about their slogan when they'd say love is love? Well, that's that that slogan that that chant they would use. That's such a vague standard by which to legalize gay marriage. Because if you could take that those same words, love is love. Well, what if a brother and sister love each other romantically? Should should that argument legalize incest or polygamy? Okay. After all, love is love, right? It, you couldn't, couldn't it also be used to legalize polygamy? But you say that. They just clutch their pearls even tighter. <laughs> They'd say, how dare you compare the two? That's just the slippery slope argument. No, I'm just pointing out that you're, the same premise you're using to endorse gay marriage, to say love is love, that same premise could be used to support a lot of other things too. And then they would say this, you know, the difference. After they, after they, after they woke themselves up from passing out, choking on their pearl necklaces, They'd say, well, the difference about pedophilia, the distinction is that consent is what matters. That's why when they would defend gay marriage, they'd say it was between two consenting partners. And so they'd say, well, since children can't consent, then that's the big distinction between homosexuality and pedophilia or bestiality. They say that's the distinction is the consent aspect. And I guess that still wouldn't even apply when you're talking about polygamy or incest. But they'd use the consent argument and they'd say that's what sets them apart from a pedophilia apologist. But here's the problem with the consent argument. Then all you have to do is change the consent laws. And if you lower consent laws, that's the consent law is the only thing that's the barrier preventing you from legalizing pedophilia. And that's what the left is already doing, by the way. Less than a year ago, February of 2021, California lowered the age of consent to 14. A 50-year-old man could have, he could groom and be a predator on a 14-year-old, and that 50-year-old man doesn't even have to register as a sex offender anymore. If the 14-year-old consented, okay, because they've lowered the consent laws, and next time they could try to lower it to age 12, <laughs> or I could see them eventually trying to do away with it entirely. And, and liberals in many states... They already want to let young children consent to sex changes if the child comes out as transgender. You know, even if it's like before puberty, they already changed the laws to let kids consent to sex changes. So it's because it, uh, for a lot of procedures, medical procedures, you have to have parental consent. The parent has to sign off on something, you know, at the hospital, at the doctor's office. But they're trying to get away from they're trying to get rid of consent laws when it comes to the transgender issue and say a parent can't stop a kid from changing their gender, even making medical changes. In California, I don't know if this has passed yet. They're trying to make it a law where um, the parent might be paying for the kid's health insurance and the health insurance has to pay for transgender medical treatment services that the parent is not allowed to stop. The parent doesn't even get to know about if the child doesn't want them to. So they're already trying to let kids consent to sex changes it's not going to be that hard to change the laws to make to let kids make any sexual choice. They're already doing that in the laws. So there's honestly, when you make it all about consent and you say that's the barrier, there's no, there's not going to be a barrier anymore. If so, I'm saying this. I guess we'll we'll close down with this with this thought. If you opposed gay marriage prior to 2015, 
if you were called intolerant and a bigot and, and all that stuff because you were pointing out how illogical the left's arguments were, I'm just pointing out that by now we can see you've been totally vindicated by all that. The, the left has a huge problem with logic. They can't seem to comprehend how one bad policy could lead to an even worse policy. <laughs> they don't understand the danger of setting bad precedent. They, they, they can't explain the premises behind their own arguments because their arguments are just all emotion. And when you point out a bad premise in their argument that just accuse you of slippery slope, they can't think through their own positions. They have huge issues with logic because they are at war with reality. And the scary thing is, as the left accumulates more and more power, I'm not sure if reality will win the day long-term in this country. That's why those of us who still defend and believe in reality need to stay in the fight. Thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, if you hear anything about getting some Kentucky Fried Chicken that's from Kentucky or fried or chicken, that's just fake news. <laughs>